Welcome to episode five of the Six Cells podcast. Um, today, I am going to be speaking to the kind of daddy of the Six Cells podcast in many ways. I've been thinking of uh, starting a podcast for ages. I run a quite a successful uh, football coaching podcast, and I've always thought that maybe I should do something with Six Cells. Um, I follow Rob. I'm a supporter of Rob um, in his uh, supporter group, and not too long ago, he had um, a social media uh, challenge. Um, I think it was seven days from memory, and one of those um, one of those challenges was around starting a podcast, and that literally kicked me up the arse and thought, you know what, I'm going to do this. So uh, we are on episode five now, um, and um, I, I would like to give you some sort of parental rights to this um, to this podcast, Rob, because um, can I have equity, please? Can I have some stakeholding? <laughs> yeah, well, I think you can do the babysitting, maybe. Um, you right. know, maybe I'll be like a granddad to it. So um, yeah, if that, I, that'll do. I need God somebody to jump in. Yeah? yeah, is that good? So, so for my audience, uh, Rob Moore has many labels that you could um, put after his name: uh, entrepreneur, uh, investor, mentor, uh, author. A uh, fellow Liverpool fan, um, could be a big day for us today. We're recording this on the day that uh, Man City go to Chelsea, and if they don't win, Liverpool will be crowned Premier League uh, champions. Um, he is also the CEO of Progressive Property, uh, a millionaire, and from what I can tell from following his excellent content over the last probably four or five months, a bloody good bloke as well. So, um, Rob, many thanks for your time today. Really appreciate you uh, taking time out to speak to me, and My welcome pleasure. to the Six Sales Podcast. Thank you very much. Lovely to have you. So I was, um, while researching this episode of the podcast, um, and, and just taking a step back, you did a, a Facebook Live yesterday where you talked about the, um, the way Facebook are now looking to get engagement. And one of the, um, one of the points, one of the key points you, that, you, um, that you made was um, that they're looking for people to, to, to show their vulnerable side. Um, because if people open up and, and are vulnerable, then um, other people will open up as well. So this is a bit of um, a world exclusive for me, um, and it will lead into my first question. Uh, when I was at school, I was the smallest boy in uh, the year, and I got bullied. And um, I don't think I've ever said that publicly before. But it got me thinking about what made me so um, determined to be my own, my own boss. Um, I started my own business when I was about 18, um, for about three or four years and, um, I couldn't make it work financially. So I went back to um, a day job if you like. Um, and then, um, 18 months ago, I did it again. And, and, and in the period that sort of 30 year period or, or whatever it was, I never felt that having a boss was right for me. Um, and that's not that I didn't have good bosses. Um, I had some great bosses and some not so great bosses, but, um, it's because I felt like I wanted to do things for the business and if i was in a sales role or a marketing role i was expected to do sales or marketing i wasn't expected to come up with um, the strategy on how we should be doing product or whatever but i always thought about businesses holistically um, and so while i was researching i looked into um, other sort of um, entrepreneurs that i look up to and and, and steve jobs um, was very um, he had a lot of adversity when he was at school he was apparently too bright for his year group he was a troublemaker um, which kind of echoes into the the very famous think differently apple ad uh, the misfits the troublemakers uh, and he was bullied so I went on to the next one and I looked at Richard Branson and he was bullied and I went on to Elon Musk and he was bullied and I went on to Bill Gates and he was bullied and I was and, and I saw an interview with you Rob and, and you talked about your challenges when you were a child and it made me start to think is there something that comes out of adversity at a young age that drives people to want to do more at an older age. And I just wanted to, um, at that point, 
hand over to you and, 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 and get your thoughts on that, really. So yes would be the answer. I think that those that have had maybe challenging upbringings where there have been voids that have been created, because by the way, Mike, you could go through the same list with, list with immigrants. There are many immigrant billionaires and immigrant very successful business owners too, because again, maybe they've had some hardship and some voids in their upbringing. So, but there are also well-privileged and well-educated and white-privileged um, and fairly um, solid upbringing. By solid, I mean not a huge amount of pain, and they can be successful too. So I think the thing is to work out what drives you. Now, um, things will make you or break you. And for me, I was overweight as a kid. And it did nearly break me. And I can still feel that drive in me today, that void in me um, to be noticed, to be important, to be recognized, to be valued, to be respected, to add value, to contribute, to be part of something, to do something meaningful, to be in the narrative, to be in the conversation, to be up there with the best. That because you, weren't, you didn't feel that you were while you were at school. No, I didn't. And I found yeah. coping strategies such as getting on with all the different types of groups. So there was the people who loved Nirvana, Rage Against the Machine, Soundgarden. There were the sort of the, the, the rocky, greasy guys that got on with them. There were the sort of immigrant guys who all got together. Maybe the whizzes at maths got, got on with them. There were the cool kids, the sporty kids. I, I got on with everyone. But what that really was was a coping mechanism for me to be liked by everyone because I felt so um, ostracized and unnoticed when I was an overweight kid. Now, the bullying is its a difficult one to describe because I know that there was kind of cruelty from other kids around me because kids can be cruel, but I'm sure I was a bit of a bastard as well. I can remember a couple of things I did to some of the other kids that I'd, I'm not proud of. So I think while there was a reality there, because I was the fattest kid in my year at the time. And if you're the second fat, fattest kid, no one says anything about you, really, because it's the fattest kid they talk about. It's the difference, so I, isn't it? You're the smallest, the biggest, the most clever, the thickest, you know, whatever yeah. it is, whatever makes you stand out for, for, for difference is what people tend to or kids tend to hone in on. Yeah, exactly. And um, and so I've I fit that stereotype. But at the same time, so much of it was in my head. But um, even meeting up with school friends later down the line who are like, bloody hell, Rob, you've done really well. Look at how far you've come. And wow, you look good. You lost a lot of weight. I remember, you know, you were a bit chubby back then. And and then I'd sort of open up about how hard it was. And they're like, whoa, I never knew any of that. I never knew any of that because it didn't really occur to them. So a lot of it was in my head as well as in reality. But But what it has built in me is a fight, I guess, a street fighting, hustling, want to prove you wrong, want to be noticed. And it's not all bad, by the way. I want to do good. I want to do meaningful work. I want to make people happy. I want to get fulfillment. But there's also that other side, which is from a void. And I've studied values, and generally values come from voids, i.e. you value now what you don't have. Because what you have and you're full with, you're fulfilled, you no longer need anymore. Like when you, if you go bankrupt, money might go high up on your values list. If you get divorced, relationships might go high up on your values because you now have a void in your life. And that, that void drives the filling of it, which is your value. So what, to summarize, Mike, your 
study is um, where are you empty or where are you unfulfilled in your life? For me, it was driven by um, not being in the mix at school. Um, we've all got something. And by the way, for those of the, the people that were well brought up, they were loved. Everything was enough. They were smart. They were good enough. For them, often it's motivation because everything was too comfortable mm. or, or they feel misunderstood. So we've all got something. The, the point is you've got to find out what that is and use that to your advantage. Um, and, and obviously we've had the big racial debate right now, which is important to say. And I would say to anyone who suffered or or a victim in there, try and use that void as your motivator um, to drive you to be successful. Yeah, it's interesting about um, if kids grew up with everything, like I suppose you would summarize it as with a silver spoon, you know, everything was perfect. Then perhaps motivation uh, could, be be their, um, could be their problem. I've seen this in football. You see inner city kids that, train on a cabbage patch field, um, cold showers, um, very, very little by way of equipment. And then you you sort of juxtapose them against kids that are going through the professional academy, academy system where they've got heated floors and warm, fluffy towels and beautiful hot showers and they play on bowling greens. Um, and you can see um, the inner city kid a mile off. Um, and so I think, I think something really interested in that, in, in that if, if you have to strive for things, perhaps it makes you strive even more. Um, very interesting. It's just the, the first time I've ever thought about it. And it was just in um, sort of preparing for this podcast that I sort of came across it. So I wanted to talk to you about it. Um, something I'll probably study a little bit more. So um, next question. Now, just moving on to um, how you became your own boss. And is it something that you knew from leaving school that it was something that you definitely wanted to do or is it something that happened maybe while you're working in your parents pub or something that happened while you're working in the estate agent at what point did you suddenly think do you know what i need to do something for myself i've had three stages in my life in regard to this question mike the first stage was my dad raising me from a young age to be an entrepreneur to work I worked from the age of six. I'd empty the pool tables, the fruit machines, count all the money, work behind the bar, bottle up the next day, getting up at six in the morning and filling all the shelves and the fridges and cleaning and tidying. I did that from six. By age 10, 11, I could cook, clean, iron the lot. And I've got mates who went to uni and couldn't bloody do that when they were at uni. So my dad raised me to be an entrepreneur, to be a bit of a hustler, to be independent um, and, and, and to get by and to do that for myself. Then sort of I tried to fit in a lot at school. When I lost the weight, I still carried all the baggage of the emotions. So I tried to fit in, um, studied really hard to get A's, to be noticed and liked. Everything I did was to be noticed and liked instead of what was right for me. Um, got good, good degrees to, to be noticed and liked and did architecture even though I wasn't interested in it. And so I got lost in the school system and lost in who am I? And I'm doing everything to be liked and please others instead of really working out who I am. Um, and then, yeah, I worked for my dad for a while. And I also I had a couple of other jobs. And really what was nagging is this disruptive contrarian nature in me that would want to do the opposite of what I was told um, and would want to forge my own path and take my own risks uh, and I just couldn't shake that off. Not that I was trying to shake that off, but that was just always there. Um, and I tried a few things, pub landlord, artist, etc. 
And um, I really like the working for myself element. I love being fully responsible, having no one to, to make excuses to. When you work for someone else, you can always blame someone else. When you work for yourself, there's no one else to blame. And I actually like that because it creates hardcore accountability. And when it goes wrong, it's on you. But when it goes right, it's on you. And for me, that's empowering. Some people can't handle that. If you can't handle that, go work for someone. Because by the way, you could be the CEO of Disney, couldn't you? You could still be have a boss and, and report to a board and you could still be mega successful. So I'm not one of those guys that goes, oh, if you're an employee, you're a loser. You know, if you if you're an employer, you're an eagle. And if you're an employee, you're a turkey. Are you going to soar with the eagles or gobble? with? I've heard people say shit like that. And I think don't be so disrespectful. We're all needed. Entrepreneurs aren't better than employees. We need each other. But it's about knowing who you are. Uh, and, and knowing what motivates you and drives you. And I like ultimate accountability and responsibility. I like it. Um, even if sometimes I feel like it's painful. So when the lockdown happened, for example, no one but me could turn the ship around. Obviously, my team, massive part of it. And I, I give thanks and all the recognition and praise to my team for um, really smashing the lockdown. But I'm the one driving the ship, ship, so the buck stops with me. And I loved that. It made me feel alive. It made me feel like I could do something different, that I could be unique. And I don't know, maybe because I was a, a fat kid at school. I want to be unique. I want to be noticed. I want to be disruptive. I want to be different. And I, don't, I like being accountable to people. Don't get me wrong, Mike. People get this wrong. They think being their own boss is answering to no one. That's bullshit. Um, because you answer to your customers, you answer to your board, you answer to your partners, you answer to your business partners, you, you answer to a lot of people, and I do, but decision-making and autonomy and accountability, that's with me. So was it born? No. Was it raised from an early age by my dad? Yes. Did I lose my way in my 20s? Yes. In my mid-20s, did I find that again? Yes. Am I employable? Fuck no. <laughs> Okay, so so on that on that um, very eloquent note there. So you went to work for an estate agent, I believe, um, to try and get some experience in property. Um, so everything you've just said there about liking the um, the buck stopping with you and being accountable and um, and that that very much resonates with me as well. Um, how did you find it having a boss and having a job and like having like a very sort of defined boundary around your job and this is what you do, Rob, do this. Well, I got I lasted nine months and got fired. So right. I think there's the evidence. And why did I got fired? Because he found out that I was setting up a company because he found the notes on the company laptop because I was stupid enough to do the notes on the company laptop. But clearly that was serendipity because I really wasn't that bothered. I clearly wanted to get caught because I wanted to get out and start my own business. Now, by the way, um, the guy was sort of an estate agent, but really more like a property sourcing company. And he right. gave me a chance and he employed me with no CV and no experience in the market. So I'm very grateful to him. And I actually did a lot of work for him. I worked really bloody hard. I overtimed it and I earned him good money. But he wasn't my kind of boss, which was a blessing because then I got out quicker. And um, I, I just always, I don't know, probably from three months in, it was clear, okay, this is a very, this is clearly a stepping stone for me. And I managed to get my business partner to this day, Mark Homer fired as well, which was a great blessing because we've been <laughs> business partners for 15 years now. Um, it was, yeah, it's going to be December 2020. That will be the the 15 year anniversary of kind of the day it all started, really. Um, so I'm very grateful to him for employing me. I don't want that to ever be misunderstood. And he had just as hard a job employing me as I had trying to work for him. 
Mm. But no, it didn't last long. And it's just not me because, look, I'm not an arrogant person. I can get ahead of myself, but I, I have too much fear to be arrogant. And I have too much humility and understanding that I'm a very small speck in a very big universe to ever get too complacent or cocky. But I did feel I could grow a bigger, more successful business than him. I did feel like there were things I would do differently in terms of the way we sold property and the way we sourced property. And we turned out to be right because maybe not even two years later, he went bust and we have the biggest property training company in the UK. So it was, you know, my confidence, my inner volition, my bravado, you might even call it because it was unproven. It was proven to be right. So I've learned to maybe trust those instincts. Um, and yeah, I, I want to make this point again, Mike, because it's really important because most entrepreneurs get it wrong. Working for yourself is not being about being accountable to no one and doing what you want, where you want, when you want, with who you want. You have freedom, you have choice, you make decisions, but you are accountable. And by the way, you need accountability even if, if you feel like you don't want it. Because if you don't have it, you'll do whatever you want. And what do you do? You do what's easy, not what's important. And discipline is doing what you know you should do, even when you don't feel like doing it. Yeah, definitely. Um, so so at Six Sales, we help our clients um, achieve more reach, more awareness, more interest, and ultimately leads and sales via social media. I think if all of the social media platforms were to club together and look for an evangelist, they'd, they'd be hard pushed to find somebody more qualified than yourself. Um, having followed you for several months, you're a massive fan of social media and, and the opportunity that it provides for um, business owners um, and, 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 and employees alike, actually. So when you met uh, Mark in the Holiday Inn back in 2005, Facebook did exist, but it was it was still in schools and universities, I think. I don't think it had gone to the masses at that point. I think MySpace, uh, from memory, was probably the biggest social media platform, which probably was more bands and music and less um, property. I think it would probably be fair to say. But how quickly in your journey from meeting Mark and starting to buy properties did social media sort of become really important to you? And obviously, when and just the second part of that question, everyone has to start somewhere. And there'll be a lot of people listening to this that have got um, quite modest followings compared to yours. Um, in fact, most people have got quite modest followings compared to yours. So um, you have to start somewhere and, and you would have had to start with Mark at zero and build it to what it is today. So so just to, to recap the question, how quickly from starting progressive did social media become apparent to you that it was the way forward? Um, and how did you start to sort of in the early days going about building that, um, that empire? It probably took a while, Mike. It probably took at least five years, at least five years. In fact, let me go and have a look when progressive property, the Facebook community was founded. And I'll tell you, cause I reckon it was between seven and 10 years ago. Let's have a look. Cause I think, yeah, created seven years ago and I was probably properly using it, but not with my, so probably 10 years ago. So five years into the journey, like you said, um, social media platforms weren't really the, the thing they weren't big. In fact, YouTube was a bit earlier than Facebook. So I'd say about five years in, it started to become common. I would say I was an early adopter, but not an early, early adopter. Hmm. Um, but there was a point probably 10 years ago where I figured, you know what, 
this is a small lead source for us. And it's a small, because 10 years ago, we were loads of Google ads and we were building our business on Google ads. So, you know, Facebook um, and other social media platforms were much smaller, but I thought this could be really big. So I've got to put some of my time into it. And if I see that something could be big, but it's new and young, I'll put 10% of my time into it or something like that and, and play around so with it. Are you doing anything with TikTok at the moment to that? To that well, phase? we were before the lockdown, um, but, but um, some of my team were repurposing content um, and then putting it onto TikTok and they were making edited videos of my outtakes and stuff like that. But yeah, we're doing a bit on that. Again, not a small percentage of time, but we are because that obviously could be huge. Um, so yeah, about 10 years in, and so that maybe two to three years after that, we really got on it, created the Progressive Property Facebook community, which has nearly 31,000 members now, and set up all of our own assets and all of our own groups and built our own pages and profiles on all the channels and started you know, trying to figure out things again, like LinkedIn and YouTube, which had been there for years. Okay. Um, so at what point did you realize, I mean, you've, you've called social media the biggest marketing opportunity uh, that exists today. Um, bearing in mind, that's what I do for a living. Obviously, I agree with you 100%. Um, but um, at what point did you realize that that social media was so important? And the, the last stats I saw, the average person in the UK spends two and a half hours a day on social media. And that was before lockdown. Uh, and every stat I've seen since has said that lockdown has um, increased awareness, uh, sorry, increased engagement on social media by 40, 50, 60%. So the amount of attention, which is basically what we're talking about in sales and marketing, um, we're looking to sort of vie for somebody's attention and try and get their attention over the millions of other people that want their attention. The amount of attention being paid to social media is huge and it, it, it's absolutely massive. I see good practice from some companies and see uh, not so good practice. And I see some companies that don't seem to even dabble with social media, which, which baffles me um, completely. At what point did you see social media as being the biggest marketing opportunity open to, to business owners? Um, and how do you sort of like grasp the, 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 the nettle at that point and sort of really elevate it to where you are today? So, yeah, seven to ten years ago. Um, ten years ago, I probably thought this is worth, worth my time as a consumer. Uh, and then seven to ten years ago, in between that period, I probably thought as a producer – of content um, and you know growing my business um, and uh, the more time I've invested in it and the bigger following I've had um, I would say um, the more important it's become because like you said most people are on it they're on it for a long time as a business owner where do you want to be you want to be where the eyeballs are you want to be where the users are this is where all the users are there's cool tools and features coming out all the time, which I share about a lot on my own pages, supporters, stars, paid live events, currencies are going to be coming, new opportunities for revenue, brand endorsements, ads on stories, WhatsApp, you name it, there's going to be so many more. Um, yeah. Okay. So do you, so 
it, it seems from the outside looking in that a lot of I mean, you produce a phenomenal amount of content um, as a company and as an individual. I, I, you seem to be you dominate my Facebook feed for for, for sure, uh, which is a good thing. Um, and, and I was saying to Harry before we came on, actually, it's it's a slightly weird interview because I feel that I know you really well because I've seen you on Facebook so often and you've never seen my face before, probably. So uh, it's a slightly uh, uneven conversation. But um, it's like I feel like we should just be going for a beer down the pub now because you're a mate of mine right and you've never seen me before so it's, it's slightly weird but um we we have two approaches at six cells we have the uh, the approach that you have albeit probably on a, on a, a lower budget um and then we have the one-to-one -one, um angle and, and what i mean by that is if we're working with a company that is um a business looking to target other businesses we will identify the uh, industries, companies, and people within those companies that are most important um, future buyers. We will then connect with them via the likes of LinkedIn and Twitter, and we will then engage with those people on an almost account-based marketing ABM slash social social selling style um, over a long period of time to bring them, uh, or to, sorry, to bring the leader of that company and that company into the awareness of the people that matter. Have you ever done anything on that one-to-one? -one? I, I kind of describe it as um, most social media is kind of like air cover uh, and the more air cover you can get the better um, and the the, uh, the the social selling stuff is more sort of sniper a little bit more one-to-one -one and individual you're looking for very specific people and and looking to engage with them have you ever done anything on that um, sniper style um, and have you got any tips and hints and strategies that people might um, might like to hear from that it's not really my style um, because I'm looking to build my brand Okay. And so I don't really sell on social media. Uh, obviously, occasionally I have offers, but not really like such a low percentage, 5% max. And um, I'm not really targeting individuals other than maybe trying to get them on podcast interviews um, or maybe trying to connect as a fan like people do with me, but there's only a handful of those because I'm spending more of my time as a producer rather than a consumer. Um, so I've heard a lot of people talk about different strategies using social media, you know, pure lead generation and selling, pure brand and content, somewhere in the middle. I'm probably much nearer the pure brand and content, but not 100% brand and content with no business outcome. I mean, I have engaged with some big names on social media and got involved in the conversations and debates, which has resulted in me getting thousands of new followers. Um, but that's what I see social media for, to be social, to start conversations, to engage in debates. I'm not the kind of person that does posts and never comments in them. And I'm not the kind of person that follows people on social media and never comments on them. Because I think, what's the point? So I get involved in the comments, whether I'm the producer or the consumer. So I think you've and that's, got and that's to the point you made the other day about Facebook looking for some more meaningful engagement moving forward, right? So if if you're not engaging, if you're just posting and running, I think you called it. Yeah. Um, that's frowned upon as far as the Facebook algorithm is concerned. Yeah, well, I don't think it's a way to build loyalty. So I've figured out quite a lot of things over the last say year because my Facebook account manager or my supporter account manager or my star account manager or my Facebook live event account manager have told me, and these guys work for Facebook. So you can figure out stuff going on, of course, might be useful if the person's got a load of experience. You can figure out stuff yourself through trial and error, might be useful, but you've probably got to do a lot of error. Or you can figure it out from the horse's mouth. And I've figured it out from the horse's mouth. 
And what I've done, obviously, over the years is I've figured out what works. I've figured out what I like to do. I figured out how I like to be known. I figured out my points of difference from what my community tell me. Um, and I've also figured out what Facebook want me to do. And also LinkedIn and YouTube, you, they're, they're different. You've got to figure those things out. So people like it when you engage with them on social media. You know, I engage with you, Mike. You give me stars. I engage with you. We had a bit of fun and banter. We did a little live auction to get this interview happening. Like you said, you feel like you know me very well. And, and that is what I'm trying to achieve. I'm trying to build really good remote goodwill and rapport because obviously I can't get to know the hundreds of thousands of people one to one. So what I can do is make you feel like I'm doing the best I can to do that even though it's not one-to-one, -one, whether it's replying to your comments, replying to some of the messages. And that takes time, by the way, but that's an investment because that's, but I'm clear that I'm building my brand. Whereas other people are just building lead gen, you know, and they're trying to get private messages and trying to get, you know, share links and get sales. The problem with that is you're fighting against the algorithms because they don't really want you to do that. So it's possible, but it's hard. Whereas I'm thinking the best way to do it is to build a really good brand and build loads of goodwill, sell periodically, but gently and maybe at a low, you know, sell stuff at low prices um, and keep it very soft and infrequent, but clear, by the way, um, and do that infrequently and build a vast following. And then when you've got a vast following, then you can probably sell more because you've got a vast following. So that's my play and my strategy. Also, I have a company that spends £250,000 a month, £3 million a year on marketing, on Facebook ads and YouTube ads and Google ads and Amazon ads and Bing ads and um, joint ventures and list rentals and CPA and you name all these different marketing strategies. So in a way, we can use my personal brand for the organic growth side of it. So no, I'm not a sniper. Um I, you do get some good results, private messaging people on Instagram for podcast interviews, especially on a Sunday, I've found. Um, and some people do engage on their own social media. A lot don't, by the way. A lot don't. Um, but I guess it's just depending on your goal and your outcome for what it is. Yeah, yeah, fair. Um, just um, on that note, for those that aren't, obviously everyone watching this on the live feed is already a member, so um, uh, not for them, but for uh, those listening to the podcast, Rob does some fantastic content daily, several times a day, um, and uh, you can become a supporter of his. I think, is it three forty nine a month, Rob? Is that how much Facebook charge? Yeah, $3.49 a month, and I do unique content, meetups, live videos, WhatsApp groups. I do loads of stuff just because I wanted to... I Look, I, there's a lot of things, Mike, I'm not necessarily that good at, and I'm not that good at blowing blow my own trumpet. But I don't think there's anyone in the world that gives more value in a supporter program than me. Um, there's not that many people that have even got the feature. Uh, and I, I just wanted to create something that people felt really good value from, that Facebook would look at me and go, this guy, even though he's not got the biggest following in the world, he's got one of the best, if not the best, supporter program in the world. Because I figured that would be good for me and then because they gave me stars and gave me paid live events first 20 in the world for stars probably first two in the world for paid live events and these are all coming off the back of creating value on social platforms so one thing people don't know is you will get selected by social media platforms 
if they see you doing good work on their platform, whether LinkedIn give you the live feature or, you know, your, the algorithm favors your reach or they actually reach out to you. Facebook reached out to me and said, Rob, we, we love the work you're doing with your page. Uh, we want to work more with you. We want to have monthly meetings. We want to talk strategy. We want to get your feedback. We want to tell you what's working at, at Facebook HQ. They actually reached out to me to do that. Well, it's the sort of thing whereby you only get reached out to it's like a mafia thing you can't get you can't just email them and, and get replies so you're a made um, man now is that what you're saying it's like well, i don't know what i am <laughs> yeah, I, i'm very confused mike yeah. um but that's another reason why investing time in building your personal brand on on, on social media channels it has all these other knock-on benefits and anyone who follows me i just share with you everything that i'm learning immediately so you're just one step behind me hmm so yeah, thank and, you for and that's my supporter program. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you said you're not very good at blowing your own trumpet. Well, I will blow it for you. Um, I, I, I very much enjoy um, being a supporter. I think it's ridiculous value. Um, it's it's almost um, derisory um, that it's three forty nine when I'll probably see you four or five times a day. Um, I, I did want to ask you your your Facebook lives always feel very. Um, unplanned and i don't i mean that in a positive way i don't mean you know, it's not a scripted right okay this is what it doesn't feel like you're going to sit down and like really write this out and this is what this is the script as it were it feels like right i've got a few things to say i'm just going to go and, and say it and i think that makes it feel a lot more natural um is that the case do you just think right i've got a few things to say i'm just going to get on on facebook go live and then sort of work it out or do you do is there a little bit more planning and scripting that goes into it it depends um so i think Content variety is really refreshing to your audience. I know that same time, same place and content consistency can also be powerful. But I think you've got to be realistic about your own personality. So for me, if you restrict me to a show, same type, same style, same time, same day, I'm going to feel very suffocated. So I just that's not me. So the freedom and the variety is me. So we play to my advantages and my strengths, not my weaknesses. Um, I would say maybe every other live I'll know what the concept is. So, for example, I did a live um, talking about the four main algorithm updates that drive your social media engagement. I mean, I, remind, I think that, remind us what they were, Rob, please. Yeah. So, uh, opening up, um, meaningful engagement, debate, and then polarization. Um, although I, that different words were used for polarization, she actually said to me, super negative or super positive posts do really well on the algorithm. They were the words she used. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I knew what they were. So all I had to do in my mind was memorize those four words. And I can go live and talk about that and because I only had the conversation earlier that day. So it's very fresh. So there's a plan. But... You know, and, and if I couldn't remember four words, I just need to have them on a post-it note on my hand or something. And I feel like it being raw, a conversation I just had with Facebook a couple of hours ago, I'm telling you fresh, here it is. And not having a script, I feel is much better. But if I'm going to teach you the nine top tips to increase your social media reach or engagement or seven best ways to monetize social media, I'm going to put those seven bullet points on a note behind my computer so I've got them clear and I've got a framework. I never okay. script, but I sometimes have a like a, a plan. Yeah. You can end up, yeah, I... I well, you just uh, waffle. Again, 
yeah well yeah and and again thanks to you um i started doing facebook lives in my group I, well firstly i set up a group and then secondly started doing facebook lives in it uh which is something i wasn't doing before um i was following you again it's things i had thought about but just thought and eh, no, maybe not so um again thank you for giving me the kick up the ass to um to get going on that um so w one of the things that you are 100 percent um uh spot on with is consistency so there is daily content and come what may or how busy you are there will be content and for me um consistency is is massive um I, th i've lost count of the number of conversations i've had with companies and and owners of companies who said oh no social media doesn't really work for us we tried it for a few months and it didn't really work and you ask them what do you mean by it didn't really work so, well we didn't get any sales so okay so how, how do you know you didn't get any sales do you ask people when they come into the shop Nah, not really no that's so, okay um so so for me so social media is something that has to be consistently there day after day after day after day after day and you're basically building a base from which to um from which to dominate right uh, from which to build sales it's the marketing so it's it's almost depending on what industry you're in and how expensive the product is that you're selling essentially the marketing you do now is going to be sales in three months time so so to think of, that you're going to start social media today and then in a week get sales is is not the way to think about it how important do you think consistency is for you and your business and what would you say to other business owners um on on that uh, on that topic rob well, consistency is one of the single most important factors of building a really good brand on social media. Um, just like it is going to the gym and getting fit and healthy, just like it is having a good diet, just like it is um, building a business, just like it is anything. So the thing with a lack of consistency is people can't build trust. So you can go out like a, you know, a bat out of hell um, and people see you all over the place and they have some doubts because you're new and maybe a bit forward and then you're gone and they're like, well, where are they gone? And then they're back and then they're gone and then they're back and then they're gone. And in the end, people just go inconsistency. I can't trust inconsistency. So one thing that consistency builds is trust. One. The second thing is algorithms want you to be consistent because they want to get you jacked and addicted to their platform. So my head of social media, Kieran, and I have tested coming off social media for a few days or tested not doing videos for a few days. And it takes time to build that reach back up because essentially they will reward you for consistency and penalize you. I mean, I, I, no one can prove that because you know you won't get presented the algorithm in front of you, but we've tested it and it looks to be the case. So the algorithms like consistency. The third thing is you just building momentum. The more, po the more content you do, the more you figure out how to do more content. Um, so uh, I, I, some ideas for content give you more ideas for content. Some videos give you ideas for more videos. As you do videos and you're not good, you get better at doing videos as you go. You figure out what works and what doesn't inadvertently. Times of day to post, you know, uh, backgrounds um, to have on your lives, what platforms like StreamYard to use. Um, you just figure all these things out. The titles of your um, lives are so far. You see a lot of people doing lots of lives. There's no title on their lives and they just don't realize they're dramatically reducing their reach by not having a title. And the title is important. And we talked to Mike about the title and you know, you knew I wanted a title before we, before we went live. You figure all these things out as you go. Now, by the way, you can be told things a thousand times and I think it's good to learn and go on courses and get educated. But you could be told things a thousand times. But when you do a live and something works or you do a live and something doesn't, it's real to you. And when I say a live, it's not just lives, is it? 
it's pre-recorded videos, it's image quotes, it's questions, it's debate, it's, it's all kinds of social media content. So um, sometimes... It's a weird thing, isn't it? It's a weird thing with... Um, I, I don't know if you find this. I certainly find this. If I try and do a pre-recorded video... I end up trying to re-record it loads of times and I'm not very happy with it. And it, and I, and I seem to stutter and not get to yeah. my point good enough, but when it's live, it just happens. There's something it has to happen. Cause it's, it has to happen. Yeah. yeah. And so you get and it done in half the time. Over a few words. So what? And if you make a bit of a fuck up, well, you're already live. Yeah. I, some Harry will ask me to do an in, intro for one of my YouTube videos on my phone. And sometimes I can do 20 takes for a one minute intro. Whereas Let's say I've done, I don't know, in the last three years, let's say 1,500 live videos. I've probably started them again 30 times. So about the same ratio but mm. of cock-ups, but 1,500 more videos. Like, the good thing about live is it's more natural. It's a bit less perfect, which I think makes you come across well. The algorithm likes it. Yeah, the algorithm definitely biases the lives. Um, and let's go back to consistency. There's a few reasons why it's hard. So I've said that consistency is important. Let me help people get more consistent. So the first thing is you've got to stop bullshitting yourself that you don't have time because you do. Because everyone has time to do what's important to them. And everyone has time for priorities or things that are highest on your values. So you just have to make content more important to you. Why would it be more important to you? Because it's going to grow your future business. So the second thing you need to do is cut out an hour of shit, an hour of admin, menial tasks, wasting time, scrolling, whatever, because we all do that, and put an, half an hour in twice a day to plan and do content. That's easy. Anyone can do that. The next thing is you've got to do videos even when you don't feel like it. Now, I'll sometimes feel knackered. I'll usually still do a video. By the way, I don't always want to do two videos a day, sometimes just one. Today, it'll be three lives I've done. So sometimes three. No, it'll be four I'm going to do today. But yesterday I did one. Tomorrow I'll probably do one. I'll let myself feel like off in the evening. I'll never let myself off in the morning unless I've got something more important to do, like a really important meeting. So the key thing with consistency is doing it when you don't feel like it. Mm. Now I'm going to open up something here. You know, I am an open book. Um, obviously I have a private life, so I don't open up every single thing, but as much as it's realistically expected to open up and more like my therapy sessions and my weaknesses and vulnerabilities, I open up one, because that's the kind of person that I am Two because I know my followers like it. And actually I was only told yesterday that opening up is good for the algorithm. I kind of worked out that it was cause I did it, but I didn't really know it was an algorithmic thing, but two people, by the way, they're wrong. Just letting you know, but two people accused me of being a fraud because I post stuff on social media that is motivational or inspirational or educational and helps people. And there's an area of my life that I'm struggling with or is not quite up to par. And for a minute there, they made me believe that I had no right to do lives or content on entrepreneurship mindset skill set strategies tactics marketing sales you know growing your business starting your business scaling your business and all the million things i talk about when the area that i was struggling with was nothing to do with any of those areas but for a minute there i started thinking wow you know do you have to have every single area of your life completely sorted 
to be credible to do social media content? The answer is no. Everyone is flawed. Everyone is imperfect. Everyone makes mistakes. Um, and look, if you've just gone business and lost a bit, sorry, if you've just gone bust and lost a hundred million in sales and you're trying to tell people how to make money in business, there's probably some shit there uh, and you should probably shut up. But you could talk to people about what it's like going bust and what you learn going bust and how you can save other people from going bust. Um, but I don't talk about politics. I don't talk about religion. I don't talk about personal relationships in any of my content. So if I'm spiritually unawakened and trying to figure out who I am spiritually, that doesn't mean I should not talk about being an entrepreneur because that's just an area of life I'm trying to sort out. I, I, I haven't yet mastered meditation, but it doesn't mean I haven't mastered marketing. Mm. But people will say this stuff to you. People will criticize you, try and break you, dump their shit on you. Hurt people hurt people. When people who tear you down are broken themselves. And this could be people you know. This can be people very close to you. Or this can be people on the periphery. Or this can be critics. Or this can be trolls. Or this can be haters. But I just want to let you know, none of that shit ever goes away. But I, I, there's a little crack. And for a minute there, I think I didn't do a lie for like 36 hours. And then I was like, Fuck you. I know who I am. You don't know who I am. I know who I am. You're wrong about me. I've helped millions of people. You haven't. Rob, you've got a mission. You've got a message. These people need you. And actually, it gave me some strength. And the reason I say this, and I know it wasn't the question, Mike, is because all of these things stop people being consistent on social media. I'm not credible mm. enough. I'm not big enough. Who am I? I have no right. I'm struggling in this area with my blah, 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 blah. Well, actually, do you know what? I was talking to someone today. I was coaching them. Uh, and it was a brilliant session. They had this agenda. And I love it when people have an agenda and straight away, I'll work out what the issue is and it's not on the agenda. And the reason I love those kind of coaching sessions is because I realize everyone else has gone through the agenda and go tick, 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 tick. And they haven't got the real fucking issue. And I, I love those moments. And I'm pretty good at finding them. Symptoms, and not the cause. Exactly. So in reality, yeah. this chat was like, is my product right? Is my brand right? You know, is the platform right? What was the crux? He was scared of rejection. Mm. And the crux was we needed to deal with his rejection because everything else was fine and it was making it a problem. And I have struggled re with rejection since I was about a fat 11-year-old kid. And that made me more qualified to talk about rejection because Lord Sugar probably hasn't struggled with much rejection because he doesn't seem to give a, a, a toss. And he just, oh, whatever, you're fired, get out, who cares? Um, and someone who's never struggled with rejection ever probably can't teach you about rejection because they don't know what it feels like. But I know what it feels like because I've been struggling with it for 20 years. Now I've overcome it, mastered it, dealt with it. I face rejection every day, but it still comes, it still comes back. I still do have that little child in me that doesn't want to get rejected by, you know, do you, do you find sometimes that you find that you're taking feedback as criticism when it's actually just feedback? Um, yeah, sometimes I'm much better at taking feedback, much, much better. Can it get through sometimes? Yeah. Can I take it personally sometimes? Yeah. Does it depend how it's delivered? Yeah. If someone's tearing into me, do I find that hard to, to sort of get rid of their emotions sometimes? But yeah, 90% of the time I can see feedback for what it is and not take it personally. But my point here is I was more qualified to talk to him about rejection because I've been through it. So the shit and the pain that you've been through makes you more qualified to teach it on social media as long as you've found the solution. Yeah. You said something earlier there, Rob, um, hurt people, hurt people. Um, I've got two teenage kids who spend a lot of time online and I'm paranoid at the, 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 the shit and the bullying and the stuff that goes on online. And I say to them probably on a daily basis, and they're really probably bored of hearing it, that 
the way people treat you is a reflection on them, not a reflection on you. And it's so easy for yes. people to throw shit at people online and then for them to take that personally and to start getting, you know, either withdrawing completely or feeling depressed about that because they feel like they're being victimized. And it's normally, well, it's neat, it's always, in fact, uh, something going on inside the, the 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 abuser, if you like, that's that they are now trying to project on you, and it's nothing to do with you. And I, I don't think that that can be said enough. Personally, my kids would disagree with me, but I, I think that that's really important to remember. Um, yeah, I do think there's a balance here. I completely agree with you. You know, when people are tearing you down, they're broken themselves. I think I saw Gary Vaynerchuk say that. And the reason, you know, big influencers will say things like this is because they see it all the time and people do it to them every day. People do it to me every day and it becomes normal. And it, it, you know what? 90% of the time, Mike, it doesn't hurt me. It just hurts me when it's people who are close to me, people I've known for a long time or people who said they've got my back, but actually they haven't. Um, and, but that's life, isn't it? But there's a, there's a halfway house here. You can't just give responsibility to everyone else for acting like an idiot. And, you know, sometimes people say, oh, I'm passionate. No, you're being a bit of a dick. Uh, and, you know, too much passion. Actually, the der derivative of the word passion, the etymology of it is negative connotation, not, co not positive connotation. So I completely agree with you on what you're saying to your kids. When people are just lashing out and they don't know you and they're criticizing you and they're trolling you, that is all about them and not about you. But I think it's also wise in your relationships with people, uh, you know, and what you put on social media to look at what maybe you're attracting to and own what you can own. And I suppose that is just about you knowing who you are and knowing when you have attracted something and also knowing when it's actually not on you, it's on them. Yeah, for sure. Um, so just, just to um, finish up, I think we've, uh, we, we nearly come to the end of an hour now. Um, the, the four changes in the Facebook algorithm, obviously you got, you got news of this uh, much earlier than most people did. How has that affected you and your social media team and how you're thinking about the content that you're going to be doing moving forward? Have you already started planning for that? Do you feel that you're already sort of hitting all of those whack-a-moles on the head currently or, or, or are things going to change in the, in the Rob Moore world um, as it relates to those changes? Okay, so it's probably a multifaceted answer, I think. Number one is they're not the only four. They were mm. four, I was told. We were already doing some of them before we were told. It's definitely opened my mind to thinking about them more clearly. And I made this statement. There, I, I was very important to say this, Mike. Um, don't just use these as a gimmick. I mean, there's a lot of people on social media commenting on anything newsworthy really as a gimmick to do what's called engagement jacking, which is just to get more engagement. And if I comment on anything and everything just for engagement, which is I open up about everything and I debate everything and I polarize everything, in the end, you're going to go, this Rob guy, he's all over the place. I don't know who he is. What does he stand for? Yeah. Exactly. His social media accounts going to be a bit of a gimmick. And I follow a lot of people who actually they've got more to them than that. But really, their social media platform is just a bit of a gimmick in that regard. So I think that where you can open up, do, but do it in areas that are relevant to your business and your brand. So I share the struggles I'm going through. I share, you know, maybe some of my own internal conflicts and paradoxes. I share my therapy sessions. I share the mistakes I've made. And of course, we're all allowed a private life. So we're all allowed a line. Um, and I don't want to do that every day, but when relevant, I want to do that. I, I do try and create debate, but not for gimmick's sake, for, for pertinent sake for my brand. Um, I do want to polarize my audience and stuff I'm really passionate about, but not for the sake of it. So I'm not going to go on saying, oh, yeah, iPhones only. 
app, you know, any other phone is shit. Only iPhones. I, I could go and do a post on that and they get hundreds of comments. But I've only ever used an iPhone. I don't know what an app, a, 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 an Android phone is like. And it's just, it's gimmickery. Whereas if I said, I believe you should self-educate. I believe you should rely on no one but yourself for your financial future. I believe it's really important to hang around in pos positive, empowering, inspired people. In fact, my personal mission for the rest of my life is to help as many people on this planet start and scale their business and to get a better financial education. I believe it is your responsibility to learn about money, to, to master money. If I said those sort of things, then I'm definitely going to polarize on that. And I'm going to maybe juxtapose that against the school system or against the employment system, because I really believe that, really believe that. So what you really believe, you open up, you polarize, you debate and you engage about um, what you really believe in. And, you know, that might be something that happens every week or it might be something that happens every year or every month. But in between that, you just put solid, good content. A lot of my content, I'm actually not really using any tactics for increased reach. I'm just trying to do good content. And, you know, I've got a lot of my students who follow me and they're doing really well. And some of them, though, they're just, you know, a lot of their stuff really is too much for views and engagement other than quality of content. Because you know what? What's better? 3,000 views of quality content or 10,000 views of gimmicky content? So it's not always about the views. I, I, I'll do lives and for my audience... The, the reach will not be great, but I know the content is good. Yeah, I would add to that the right audience as well. Um, yeah. Reach for reach sake doesn't um, is not necessarily important. Uh, you're, you're looking as the, the famous um, marketing maxim is the right person at the right time with the right message. Um, the right person being key there. It's um, it's a little bit easier with Facebook ads and stuff to grow. Um, you'll reach a lot of people, but they're not necessarily the right people. Um, and yeah. Anyway, that's probably another podcast. Um, I have one last question that just occurred to me. You've got um, quite young children, and um, I just wonder what they make of their daddy doing so many um, talking to computer-type meetings, um, whether they're completely used to it now. I think they came into a few of your Facebook Lives, um, which, uh, which which was good to see. Mine are a little bit older and a little bit like, meh, whatever, dad's busy, whatever, don't care anymore. But yours are at the age where they're quite curious still. So I just wondered what that's like. Um Ariana, my daughter, she's five, turning six, loves to get involved in it. She's just doing some YouTube videos under the tutelage of her mother because her mother is far more careful and thinks about security and safety than I do. Um, and so she doesn't really get it yet, but she's just starting and um, she finds it all fascinating. She, she's probably going to like the limelight a lot more than I do and she seems to have that kind of personality. Bobby hated being in them and then over time got a bit more as he got into Minecraft and watching Dan TDM on YouTube. He's now more interested and he's quite impressed that he won't admit it, but he's quite impressed how many followers I've got, but I'm not as big as Dan TDM. No. So I'm, I'm not, not that much. Yet. Yet. No, exactly. 21 million. I think Dan T TDM is. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, but he's a bit more interested now and wants to set up his own channel and everything else. So yeah, I, I think, you know, they like it, they get it, they found it weird at first, it's kind of normal now, and I think they're even starting to respect me for it. They came to one of our events, the Property Super Conference, a huge event, and I could see a switch flick in Bobby's mind where he sort of 
really respected his daddy for the first time because all I'd ever done was take Bobby around the world playing in all of his golf championships. Um, and he didn't really know that much about what I did. And then I, as I got him involved, I think that bonded us more. So um, I try not to put them in social media too much. I think you've got to do that maybe progressively. Be careful with that. Um, yeah. But yeah. I think mean, there's something in, during lockdown, at, at least, there's something quite human about um, kids jacking um, lives and Zoom calls and stuff. I think it makes it all a little bit more tolerable. Um, there's, there's a thing yeah. called Zoom fatigue already where people that, used to work in an office and have a team of 50 people now suddenly have to be on zoom calls from the moment they wake up to the moment they go to bed and they're just literally sick of it. So I think that just adds a little bit of the human element that we're perhaps yeah. losing through the face-to-face -face contact. I said that was my last question. I just thought of one more, if you don't mind, um, Twitter have just, um, and hopefully Zuckerberg won't shut down this feed now because I'm talking about a different platform, but um, Twitter have just recently launched audio tweets um, and it basically allows you to record as the name would suggest, audio on a tweet. So you can have a little bit of text uh, and then you record a, um, uh, you know, an audio message. I've found, depending on the industry and the client, that the, the engagement on Twitter is generally on the wane, which is probably why they have um, introduced this. But it does feel to me like there's a great opportunity for almost like a mini, like a micro podcast type product i just wondered if you guys had looked at audio tweets yet and if so what you'd made of it and if you're sort of thinking of doing anything with it not yet i'd heard about it recently not yet and i'm going to email my um va manager agent now and tell him if we should jump on it i'm not the best on twitter it's one of my lower focus platforms because i'm just not really that kind of commentator that maybe twitter is suited to and that's okay but i'm going to get on it right now now you've said it yeah cool rob listen thank you so much for your time really appreciate it i've been, really enjoyed speaking to you thank um, you very honored that you took the time out um and I'm, I'm glad that i started a little mini revolution of you being on podcast with my uh with my star haggling on your uh, on your <laughs> facebook live so thank you very much are you going to go live by the way later if liverpool are crown champions um well i'm doing two lives anyway tonight okay um about uh doing a mindset and personal development live and then I'm, i've got one I've got a new money podcast to do. So I'll be live anyway. Um, so we'll see. Cool. All right. Nice one. Thanks again, Rob. Really appreciate it. Enjoy Cheers. the rest of your day. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye now.